So, um, earlier today, I had the pleasure of spending several hours on Zoom with uh, a group of people who are gathering these very early stories of the Buddha and the women in the Buddha's life women in the Buddha's life. So they call themselves Weeble, which is short for women in the Buddha's life. And I kind of like that because it reminds me of those little things you can knock down, but they stand up again. So uh, I wanted to read you just a sentence, and then I'm going to tell you a little story. And the sentence, and this is from an ancient, ancient story, it predates the Pali Canon, is that this is the part I want you to attend to. 400,000 gazillion eons ago. That's the part, let me repeat it. 400,000 gazillion eons ago. That's a long time. A long time. And we've discussed that in this space before. What would it be like to grant yourself that kind of time to awaken? And the rest of the phrase is that the being who would become the Buddha spent all that time doing acts of merit, little acts of kindness and generosity, including to himself, I'm sure. And that allowed him to reach a point to be a future Buddha. So there are more gazillions of years to follow. But just let that settle as you sit there. What if you had that kind of time to wake up? And it happens moment by moment, like the waxing of the moon. They put it in ancient of rephrasing it slowly, slowly, slowly. So anyway, back then, the Buddha was born into a merchant family. And he was on a ship sailing to deliver cargo. And I find this interesting. His mother was also on the ship. It sounds kind of like a dream that you would analyze, but apparently she was really on the ship. And they're sailing along with his cargo because he's a marine cast or something. And a great storm kicks up, and the ship is pierced, and it begins to sink into a whirlpool. So the Buddha puts his mother on his back and begins to swim. And just swim. Picture a storm. And 
And at a certain point, his mother says to him, how long will you swim like this before we reach land? No land in sight. And the scholar who headed up this group today said, I've wondered what could he have answered? What might he have answered? He could have said, we're never reaching land. We're going to drown. Or, I don't know. What could he have said? But he kept swimming. And it was right then that the mother, the mother says, what could I give such a child? What can I give such a son? I can't grant him land or sky or a smooth sea. I give him Buddhahood. And it was just then that the sea goddess sees and creates sand. And the god who looks over the day sees and quells the storm. And the being who became the Buddha and the mother who granted him Buddhahood touch land. It's a very interesting and mysterious story. For those of you who just came in, it's the story in the Buddhist tradition. They have many, many stories of the Buddha's lifetime before he became enlightened. And the one I just told is a story of the Buddha being at sea, literally. And it becomes clear as the tale goes on that he's been at sea with his mother for eons, gazillions of eons. And it's interesting to just let that land, that feeling of being completely at sea. And one thought that popped up when I was reading with these people is that when you're on a ship, it's also very confining. It's been described to me that these little sailing ships are like, there's almost nowhere to move. And you're locked in these relationships, just as we so often feel with our families and our loved ones and our children just locked in. And so was the Buddha. But at the same time, they're in that situation, in that sinking ship, in that storm-tossed sea, completely groundless. There was something else happening, moment by moment, over gazillions of years which is that in a moment, he could just put his mother on his back and just swim without any guarantees that there would ever be land. 
without any guarantees that they would survive. And in that moment, something new appears. And it's like, it might sound like a tale, and it is, of course, a tale from long ago, but it's also describing our lives. That we yearn and dream of a better life, of a freer life, of a way to escape, to reach our destination, to touch land, to have things not be so crazy and storm-tossed. And yet, in a moment, in a single moment, when we can just agree to swim, in other words, when we can just completely agree to be present with what is, something unexpected can open. In that moment, we can be Buddhas. And I want to read again that quote from Catherine Mansfield uh, that I read last week. Everything in life that we really accept undergoes a change. So suffering becomes love. That is the mystery. We're conditioned, all of us, to yearn for something beyond us, to yearn for a way out of this mess, this groundless, storm-tossed state of the world of our lives. And yet, it's in a moment when we accept desolation sometimes. I completely accept the desolation that I feel at the moment or the confusion that I feel or the hopelessness I feel. I give up hope. In that moment, we can drop into a new life, a new vibrancy, a new sense of connectedness and being here. We come out of our heads and drop into our lives and discover that our worst fear was just a story. And it's that life, it turns out, our world is just a dream we had that will never come true. But you know what might come true instead? The redwoods in California that we believed were destroyed in the fires came through because of their interconnection. So let's sit together. Taking a comfortable seat, 
And it sounds like um, something I repeat, but I don't mean this in a casual way. Notice what it's like to take great pains to welcome yourself, to welcome this body and this mind and these feelings. And notice how it feels to be here, just like this. And to have that state be completely acceptable. Notice how it feels to let yourself be touched by presence, by stillness, by an attention that sees you and receives you just like this. And see that whenever you stray, you can come home, back to sensation, back to a presence that sees and receives without judgment.
is how it feels to come home. is that the stillness is alive. It's an attention that sees without judging. That accepts. That holds.
and notice that no matter what you're thinking or feeling or picturing, you can gently come back to sensation and to a presence that sees and receives with kindness. And find that you're completely accepted. Every single thing. that you're welcome here. Just as you are. 
can see that there's a presence here. yourself sink into sensation. And notice that it's not separate from awareness. Not thinking, but seeing.
and rest in awareness. that's beyond thought. Sometimes I think we could just keep sitting and sitting and sitting. One of the things that's interesting in that story is the way the mother grants the Buddha, Buddhahood, the freedom to go on and become the Buddha. And 
Um, not only was she a hell of a mother, but there's something in that for all of us, even with ourselves. Our work, if we wish to awaken, is endlessly the work of bringing, of seeing, accepting attention to ourselves. All of it, our pain, our patterns, our yearning, a completely accepting attention, a willingness to be with ourselves as we are. Moment by moment by moment, this grants us freedom. And it's like our deepest fear is that the deepest thing in us is pain. And we'll do anything to avoid that, even spiritual practice, especially that. But experimenting, even it can feel so reckless just for a moment when you're gripped by some pain or some pattern or some feeling of utter desolation or shipwreck to just turn then and hold what's happening in an attention that refuses to judge or reject. To have an intention to be completely kind, completely accepting. And you can discover one moment at a time, just like the Buddha mother and child, that just exactly when you give up all hope, you touch land. So thank you for listening. And if you have any questions or observations, I'd be happy to entertain them. That doesn't mean answer, it means entertain them. Um, thank you. I have a question, and I, it's possible it just doesn't even matter, but it seems also that it does. <laughs> Why was Buddhahood hers to grant him, or was that something she was doing for herself more than she was doing for him? Actually, that's 
like a really first class question, Mary Ellen. And that was kind of the theme of of this whole this was seriously, this was the theme of the whole thing. First of all, it's shocking news that the mother granted the Buddha Buddhahood. This is news. And what does that mean? And um, it's a great mystery, but one thing is definitely suggests that it's relevant for all of us, even if you're not a Buddhist scholar, is that it appears that awakening is not something that happens in isolation. It's something that happens in the lives that we live. And it's like we we co-awaken. And in the the story, and that's exactly what people were talking about all day. Like, the, where, what what do you mean? Because that suggests that she was awakened to grant and Buddhahood or whatnot. But but it, you can think of it as simply I did, and as coming home to the body granting someone space, complete acceptance to be what they're destined to become. And so you're shifting out of, you know, fixing and planning for them to, to granting them sovereignty, as another fairy tale put it, what do women want? Sovereignty, granting this being, this space to fulfill their destiny. That's one way of looking at it. But another interesting piece of it is that the mother herself wasn't apart for this from this awakening. And he carried her on his back. He didn't say, thou with it, you know, and just swim for it himself. I have better things to do. That there was something in all our, again, it's just such a juicy, interesting question because it suggests that all our little actions, and so much else, the fact that for 400,000 gazillion years he was doing these small acts of giving and offering and kindness to get to a point where he could be a future Buddha. But he wasn't doing it alone. He was doing it with a mother and on a ship. And do you see what I'm saying? That these things that we think of as tiny and insignificant and may not matter are actually moment by moment coming to awaken. And, as, you know, as it could be that she just recognized, oh, my heavens, he's carrying me on his back. He, I'm going to, he will be a Buddha. Or it could also be the deepest wish you have for a beloved. 
and or anyone which is that they may be free. Not, you know, that they have earth or sky or riches or a PhD, but that they may be free and know that their beloved on the earth acceptable. So let's dedicate our practice. We'll just sit for for like a moment or two more. And just feeling our rootedness taking root in the earth in sensation. And offering ourselves warm wish that we be safe and well and free. And we notice that this warmth, this radiance doesn't stop with our skin. And we let it shine out. still rooted to the earth, we reach out with our wishes to include even the great redwood trees in California who are scorched but still standing in the fire, the gray fires. And all the brave firefighters that are helping, and all the creatures and plants and people in danger, in discomfort, in fear, and offer them our wish, may we all be safe and protected from harm. May we come through. May we be free. And then we open up our hearts all the way to include all beings everywhere, in every country, in every place, known and unknown, and every kind of being, people and animals and plants and trees and minerals and everything known and unknown. And we include ourselves in the center, offering the wish that we all be safe that we be cared for, that we know we are loved, that we are truly happy and completely in all ways free.
thank you for your practice and take good care of yourself and the people and animals and beings around you.